Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And I like these kind of episodes, Brian. We're about to go super deep on Historic's best deck. I'm excited for this episode. It, it's rare that we can do them because I think one of the core tenets of an episode like this is that we have to agree. We have to see things the same way and we have to be excited about the same deck because we both have to have our reps in with it. We have to line up and our goals for the deck and, and what we're trying to accomplish. And we got there. We, we ended up basically exactly on the same page this week. And I was anxious to pick your brain about this because this is mostly your deck. I'm going to hand the credit over to you. We'll get into all of this, but I had some concerns with an existing deck. I was already gestating a way to address them in my mind. And then you messaged me out of the blue with this deck list. And I'm like, oh yeah, you've solved all the problems I have. Let's go. And uh, deck has been great for me. Well, like most of the decks that I quote unquote build, it is basically just taking inspiration from a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Of course. And over the last few weeks, basically since uh, you know, Kaladesh was on the verge of coming out in Historic, that's basically what I've been focused on. And I've I've also just been like really happy and really interested in magic. So that's been cool. And there were a lot of cards that I wanted to you know, play with again, because I knew that they would be great, like Scrap Heap Scrounger and things like that. And I was working on some Rakdos vehicles type of stuff that didn't really work out. And then Nick Prince sent me his list and we iterated on that. And like he was coming at it from a different angle than I was, uh, which helped, you know, just get like another head in the mix. And he solved a lot of the problems that I had. And then together we solved some more of the problems. And then Star City, uh, like their, you know, call time championship qualifier stuff started happening. So we got a lot of historic deck lists and a lot of people were playing Rakdos Sacrifice. So I looked at all of those deck lists and watched some of the tournament too and liked a lot of what was going on. It was basically just like Scrap Heap Scrounger in that deck. But then there were also some random Stitcher suppliers and Granted, those fine Cauldron Familiar, uh, Woe Strider, some Croxas. It's a, a reasonable card to sacrifice to Priest of Forgotten Gods and stuff like that. But Bowman Courier was one of the de- the cards that I looked at for that sort of archetype. And I'm just like, there, there's no way that this card isn't just incredible in this deck. And so I kind of just like put all of that together, tuned it a little bit, and here we are. The first game I played with Bowman Courier in this list it soloed my Azorius control opponent. I don't mean like it was the only thing that mattered, but it was. But it also did something like 17 points of damage across the multiple Bomat Couriers I played in the game. It was just, I'll play a Bomat Courier, I'll sit on it, I'll leave mana open all the time, make you do something, and if you choose to do something, I'll punish the shit out of you, but you can't do anything because you know that, so I'll just sit here and run this Bomat Courier at you till the end of time. And at some point, I'll draw nine new cards, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have like a draw nine experience against them, but I've definitely played matches against uh, one. One specifically, I remember was against Azorius with like main deck Grafdigger's Cage and stuff like that. But even Demir and Saltai sometimes, where you just out card advantage them unless yeah. they get to stick to Fairy or I, like maybe Narset and, you know, kind of chain those together. Like you just draw way more cards than they do. And despite them having a cage, I'm just like able to gr- grind them out pretty easily. 
That was my experience as well. Why, why don't we start with the deck list before we get into too much of the specifics here and tell people exactly what you're playing with? Well, let's do it. All right. So top to bottom, four Cauldron Familiar, four Bomek Courier, four Priest of the Forgotten Gods, four Scrap Heap Scrounger, three Woe Strider, three Midnight Reaper, four Mayhem Devil, four Claim the Firstborn, four Witches Oven, two Thoughtseize, 24 lands total, four Blood Crypts, three Dragon Skull Summit, a Phyrexian Tower, two Castle Lockthwain, four Fable Passage, four Mountain, six Swamp. And the sideboard is two Abrade, one Bedevil, three Noxious Grasp, two Chandra Torch of Defiance, two Soul Guide Lantern, three Witches of Vengeance, two Thoughtseize. Okay. That out of the way. Where do we want to start our discussion? I think maybe just moving through these card by card is the best way to go about it because it also will talk about the changes you've made as we do that. And there's some numbers here that have gone down from the stock list. There's some numbers that have gone up and there's some cards that are just missing from this list. And I agree with every conclusion you've reached in this main deck. So it says something when we're on the exact same page, but I I love the way this deck is shaping up now and right down to what cards you're trimming and what cards you're excluding altogether. It all makes sense to me. Yeah, Stitcher Supplier, I think, is fine. I think that's the well, one of the big cards that's missing right now. And it does a lot of small things, but it ultimately plays into a lot of the sideboard hate or main deck hate in some cases that people will throw at you, whereas Bowman Courier does the exact opposite. So Bowman Courier, outside of like Yasharn, is going to help you be a little bit more robust against things like Graft Digger's Cage, Leyline of the Void, and... It's still a cheap card to sacrifice. You're you're not getting value up from it like you would from Stitcher Supplier, but Stitcher Supplier is still hit or miss. It's not like a guarantee that it's even going to be better than Bowman Courier outside of like giving you some cards to use for escape. So I don't think you're missing out on much by getting rid of Stitcher Supplier. It might be different if you're like trying to play Croxa for some reason, uh, which I don't know. I'm not a super big fan of in this deck because you try to develop your board a little bit and then sacrifice some stuff, get some value, and then redevelop. And Croxa just takes like a long time to come on. I I think Bowman Courier has been excellent. I started with like two Stitcher Supplier and three Bowmats and then was just like, this is nonsense. Just play all the Bowmats, cut the Stitchers. And Bowmat helps fix the mana too, which is a consideration because before you would have things like, you know, Thoughtseize, Cauldron Familiar, uh, Stitcher Supplier, where you would just need, like, all of your lands to make black, which is not really possible. And so you just end up with these turns where you couldn't play, like, two or three spells. And Bowmat being another colorless card means that you get to use your mana basically on every turn. It's made a big difference to how the games play out. And it sounds it sounds like a small thing, but it's a big thing. And especially, like... It's not only Bomat Courier doing this trick, it's Scrap Heap Scrounger. And the consistency of just whatever your mana is, you can jam out these cards and it will be fine, changes the way you can build your entire curve. And it it just makes it more certain that you're going to be participating in the early game, which I think is the change that this deck has made. If you're going to get the addition of Scrap Heap Scrounger, Scrap Heap Scrounger doesn't live solely off of its ability to return to the battlefield. Like, that's nice, but this deck has a lot of resiliency, and you could build it with more resiliency if you wanted to. And there's various versions of strategies like this that can just be loaded with resiliency. You can play out of your graveyard almost exclusively. And I think, like, the Croxa Stitcher Supplier stuff 
does that, like typical Rakdos Arcanist list, you'll play out of your graveyard very happily. And one of the reasons you can't favor that strategy right now over something like Rakdos Sacrifice is that it is so linear and it is trying to just play out of the graveyard. But when you add Bomat Courier, Scrap Heap Scrounger to this deck, it picks up a whole nother dimension. And that dimension is aggression. Those early points of damage that Bomat Courier plus Scrap Heap Scrounger are getting in, you leverage them and you just burn people out with Priest of Forgotten God's Mayhem Devil because they took five in the early game. And it's it's very manageable. You don't have to set up overwhelming board states anymore. You have the reach to effectively kill people. And I think that also speaks to the removal of Stitcher's Supplier. Stitcher's su- Supplier is about accumulating resources and getting to the place where you can return to Scrap Heap Scroungers and get really wide and still have more Woe Striders ready to go. And it, it just doesn't, fit with how I'm playing this deck now. And if that's what I wanted to accomplish, I would go back to Rakdos Arcanist because I think that deck does that game plan better than this deck. But this deck has the aggression and that aggression has mattered against a bunch of opponents. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too, especially when you take into consideration how often you're going to have to fight against piles of removal or graveyard hate, things that slow you down and basically make it so that you can't, you know have Cauldron Familiar and Oven and Priest and Mayhem Devil like all on the battlefield at the same time, right? Like you're going to be playing a lot of low econ games and Bowman, Scrappy, Scrounger love that. Yeah, this is a main deck Graph Digger's Cage format. And if you ignore that, you'll be punished for it. You have to build your deck with that in mind if you want to have an edge on a given week. And I, I think you're doing that here. Now, that's not to say that the Rakdos Sacrifice decks, as previously built, weren't a great choice for week one. I, th- I think they were. I think it was a really, really good call. And adding Scrap Heap Scrounger to the deck, even without this new level of refinement that I think you've added, is a really, really nice move. And the power is there. But as the deck draws the attention of the metagame, you have to have some shifts available. And you're, you're pre-shifted here because I don't think you've given anything up by building your deck in this fashion. I think you're able to do all of the game plans that the older Racto Sacrifice lists had access to. The only thing you're slowing down a little bit on is the recursive nature of the Woe Strider Scrap Heap Scrounger out of the graveyard. But I always had a Scrap Heap Scrounger when I needed one. Like, it really wasn't a problem for me. Yeah, I've, I've had the same thing. And playing... Certainly, uh, like the Rakdos Arcanist deck and older versions of Rakdos Sacrifice, there are just so many games where you have like four things to do out of your graveyard. And obviously, you you can't do all of them, right? Because they all take up uh, the resource of like cards in your graveyard. And this is built to just be like, well, I'm going to have like one or two things to choose from to be able to play out of my graveyard. And you just, you use kind of like every part of the Buffalo or whatever, right? Where your, your graveyard is going to be empty and you're going to have a Woe Strider and that's fine. You don't need 20 cards in your graveyard and four different options to cast because that's nonsense and doesn't do anything against actual graveyard hate. So you have some light recursion, just enough to keep pace with someone trying to, you know, use spot removal spells to bury you or whatever, but you don't need a ton of it. Yeah, it's played out that way in my experience as well. So I'm, I'm kind of jumping all around here. We're, we're doing a poor job of the card-by-card card thing. So why don't you get us back on track? We talked a little bit. Bomat Courier, do you have more to say about that card? Not really. It's okay. it's just really good. Like, th- there are definitely matchups, and it's usually, like, on the draw where you might want to side it out because they have blockers or incidental ways to kill it or whatever. But 
you did a lot of that with Citrus Supplier anyway. So I I, honestly, I don't think you're losing out on a ton by playing it instead of Stitcher Supplier. And the the upside that you gain is so huge. And even if you're doing less recursive things, you still have Bowmet as like a source of card advantage. So, you know, you're, you're less recursive, but you still are able to use like all of your mana basically for the entire game because you don't run out of resources. Yep, that tracks. Where else you want to go? Uh, so I said my piece on Scrap Heap Scrounger as well. I kind of lumped that in with Bowmat Courier. Anything else you want to add about that card? No, basically what you said where it, it actually just adds a clock. Like it's a, a sacrificial thing that is recursive, but actually, you know, does put them on a decent clock. And you do have a lot of chip shots with like Priest and Cauldron Familiar and Mayhem Devil. So having a way to actually, you know, move the game a little bit towards getting them to zero, right? It's like, it's way easier to kind of mayhem devil fireball them out when they're at 10 versus 20, right? So having something that that can actually attack and something that they're even discouraged from blocking is kind of nice too. So Scrap Heap kind of opens up that door for you too. Huge Skyclave Shade fan. I I still, to some extent, think it's an underappreciated card, but... After playing with Scrap Heap Scrounger again, I feel kind of bad that I ever said that Skyclave Shade was in its league because uh, it's not. Scrap Heap Scrounger is just way better and so much easier to play with. And the timing windows are all better. Like doing things at the end of your opponent's turn feels so good. You get so many more options and they all matter for sure. Yeah, I, I will say that like I, I also love Skyclave Shade and... I felt similarly to you where it's like, oh, you know, this is mostly doing the same kind of thing. In a lot of instances it is, but yeah, just the being able to, you know, even like not even necessarily bring it back, but like have the option to while you're also sitting on some other sort of like instant speed thing or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe you hold open like a food activation and a scrap heap scrounger thing. And it just, it changes the way that your opponent has to play. It gives you a bunch of options. It doesn't force you to commit to anything immediately. And obviously, you know, it gives you a little bit of resiliency against sweepers. Like even if they wrath of God you or whatever, you still get to keep hammering them, which is nice. So Scrappy Scrounger, I've missed you. Totally agree. So let's go next to the other big thing that you address that I had a problem with in the original list. And when I when I talk about the original list, I'm pretty much talking about uh, like Tristan Wild LaRue's list that finished second place at this weekend SCG event. And shout out to Tristan. Tristan's one of our Patreons. I see him all the time in our Discord and has just been killing it lately. Qualified yeah. for the last... I, again, I don't know what anything is called. The last arena qualifier thingy already is going to play the PT soon. Uh, and has been crushing high mythic. And this deck just showed Tristan has a really good sense of where the metagame's going. But again, nitpicking his deck, not trying to trash it because I think it was an awesome piece of deck building. But it felt a little flooded in the three drop slot to me. And like you said, there you get to a spot where you just have like too many options and you can't do all of them. And I felt that really hard on my three mana turns. I wanted more cheap spells in the deck. And you made subtle trims to the three mana slot from Tristan's list, per se. He had four Midnight Reaper, four Wolf Strider. And I like that going into week one. Like it was just a super clean, super streamlined list, made a lot of sense. 
But knowing how the games play out a little bit more, I like that you've dialed it back a bit. And now at three Midnight Reaper, three Wolstrider, talk about that decision a little bit. I started with two Midnight Reaper, actually, but I don't know, like the decks like Sultai are the the difficult matchups. So I felt like playing an extra Midnight Reaper was a good way to get extra percentage against them. And I, I think that Tristan did the same thing where it's like, oh, I'll just play four of this, right? And it, it, that'll help me. Uh, but Wostrider is just one of those cards that it, it's good if, uh, like Standard, for example, when people were dabbling with Sacrifice stuff, they didn't play Oven because Culture Familiar is banned. So they had like Village Rights and Wostrider as their Sacrifice outlet. So it's like, okay, you play for Wostrider, but this deck has Priest and Witch's Oven and Wostrider, and you just don't need four copies of Wostrider. And drawing the second one is very often redundant because of Escape. So it was it was just a card that I never wanted to draw multiples of, and it didn't make sense for me to play it as a four of. Yeah, the worst games I played were just when I had multiple three drops clogging up my hand. You you need to multi-spell with a deck like this. It's where a lot of your edge comes from. And you do want to spend all your mana every turn, but you want to accomplish multiple things with it. And just playing one thing is not where you want to be. Like you're happy to have a Wostrider on the battlefield, but you'd rather have a turn that is about you know, Thoughtseize, Priest of Forgotten Gods. And now into your next turn, you're threatening a snowball as opposed to here's my one thing because you're lower power than the rest of the format. Like your cards compared to something like Uro or Wrath of God or Teferi, they just don't really keep pace all that well. So you want to play multiples at every single juncture. And I think the glut of three drops was kind of fighting against that a little bit. And you can't get away from Mayhem Devil. That's your, your whole setup. So these are the ones that have to come down in numbers a little bit. I experimented for a while with playing even fewer Wolf Striders just because, like you said, if you draw one, you're mostly set. You you want to have access to it for sure, but having multiples can be really clunky. However, I do think there's enough spots where you just like fireball your opponent out with a Wolf Strider that three feels about in the sweet spot to me. Yeah, the thing with that is with Scrap Heap Scrounger, like I said, they're, they're usually going to be at a lower life total, right? Yep. And I've found myself needing those setups where Wost Rider is like the only card in the deck that allows you to sacrifice everything. Yep. And the games usually don't get to that point anymore because you have additional ways of actually getting in chip shots. So normally, you know, if it's like you have a Mayhem Devil and an Oven and a Fable Passage and like a Bowmat and a Priest or whatever, it's like you can find a way to cobble together a bunch of damage. Sure. That's a fair point. Yeah, I don't know. I... Wostrider is just good enough, and I could see playing fewer copies. I could see going down to two. I probably wouldn't go, you know, lower than that. And I think I like 10 threes. That feels about right. I agree with you that sometimes you're in those clunky scenarios where it's like, you know, maybe you don't even have a two drop, and then you have to spend like turn three and four only playing three drops, and you just fall behind on mana efficiency and stuff. So, yep. you know, maybe... Maybe you're supposed to uh, go down to nine and play like another cheap spell or I don't know. I looked at a lot of the two drops and I was not pretty pleased with them. And a lot of folks were just playing like Croxa in addition to Priest and Scrap Heap. So I don't think there's really anything there, but. Yeah, I also don't love Croxa here, uh, but there is a cheap spell that you added to your main deck. And I think this is kind of the last point of differentiation between your list and what I would consider the stock list right now, and that's main deck thoughts. Two copies in the main deck. 
you could you could sell me on three very easily because I think this is doing a lot of safety work for you. There's some holes in this deck, especially in game one. So I'll say that when I play with it, game one feels like a bit of a struggle, but I often feel like I'm upgrading in games two and three, which is a weird position for this deck to be in because you think like the graveyard deck should be able to be effectively hated out in games two and three, but you really just clean up your plan so well and you can tailor made tailor make your deck for what you're playing against. So your plan in game ones, though, revolves a lot around having a catch-all like Thoughtseize, and you could sell me on having more copies of this card for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny because this is supposed to be like the theme deck, right? Like this is the deck that's supposed to lose the Graft Digger's Cage or whatever, and especially now it just doesn't. I think Cage is still probably worth bringing in or whatever, but I definitely would not hard mulligan for it or keep hands based on the strength of it or anything. And realistically, this is a deck that, you know, for example, has trouble beating like, you know, Sweeper into Teferi sometimes or a Resolved Uro or Yasharn for sure. But just like creatures that cost four mana, maybe you're like a little weak to Flyers. Like I've gotten beat by Shark Typhoon a couple times. So this is a deck that is more prone to like its weaknesses as a, as a strategy and less to just something like Graveyard Hate and... I think it would benefit people to know that as far as like trying to fight this deck. And Thoughtseize is, yeah, it's definitely a card that is taking steps to solve a lot of those problems. Just give you a little bit more interaction with those things in game one. But it's also just doing the normal like Jerry thing of lowering the mana curve and putting some sideboard cards in the main deck so I can get some additional sideboard cards. So. Bowman Courier definitely benefits from you having a lower curve because you're able to, you know, get rid of your hand and then crack that thing for like three or four cards if you need to. And Midnight Reaper is kind of similar where it's like if you are going to reload with this thing, you would want to be able to untap and play multiple spells, right? So, and Castle Lockthwain is another thing. Just like this, everything the deck has going for it wants it to be able to have a cheap curve and play multiple spells per turn. And Thoughtseize, Thoughtseize is good, obviously. It doesn't seem like it should really matter in this sort of thing. Like you're trying to build a battlefield position, right? And do some stuff with it. But this kind of just like solves a lot of your problems. No, I, I think this points to a really good adaptation in deck building as it relates to really linear approaches. So I remember back like... So this would be original Guilds of Ravnica. Wait, is it actually Guilds? GRN, yeah. So yeah. I build Junk Rights, which is a deck that has some similarities to this deck well, in that- Guilds Guilds was most recent. Okay, so what's the one before that? Return to Ravnica? Yeah, yeah. RTR, okay. So I build Junk Rights. Junk Rights is another graveyard deck. It's designed to basically do one thing. It leads to an Angel of Serenity endgame and- when I first build the deck, every single card in the deck is only moving towards that plan. It's just creatures, mana. If you do that thing, it will be good enough. You will win. Weeks go on and people adapt to that. And they think about how they're going to interact with you. And so you can't just build in that linear fashion anymore. But your deck is so reliant on accomplishing these engines and these snowball states that you can't go too far away from those goals. So the way you 
adjust your opponent's plans in those situations is to find the most diverse option possible. In that format, I used Orzov Charm, which is like medium card, doesn't do exactly what you want it to do, but it covered a little bit of everything. It answered opposing Deathrite Shamans, uh, or it, I, I have to remember the text on Orzov Charm. Maybe it's that it rebuys your Deathrite Shamans from the graveyard and you're able well, to control the mirror that way. So you return uh, one casting cost creature, but it also kills a creature. It's like a vendetta. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like so, it could it could kill theirs and get yours back. Exactly. And that became important as the weeks went on. And it just also became important to have like a spot removal spell. But you had to stay linear. You had to be able to accomplish your main goal. And I think that's exactly what you're doing here. You need something against cards like Le- your Sharn that can be completely lights out. But you can't go as far as to play like Fatal Bush and just end up with a dead card in your hand. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, even if... Thoughtseize is like not hitting a Yasharn, it still does something else too. It's not like the the fatal push problem, or if I played Heartless Act or something like that, where it's like it just sits there until my opponent plays a Yasharn. Well, if they don't have it, then I get to take their extinction event or grow spiral or whatever. Yeah, and you maintain mana efficiency in that way. Like you're always spending your mana when you want to. You're not letting your opponent dictate to you. Yeah. Uh, I will I will say that like you know, Saltai or four color, whatever you want to call it, is is the worst matchup for sure. Even even with these little steps taken for you, Sean. Yeah, I, look, I think these are the two best decks in the format in my eyes. Uh, the Saltai builds and this deck. And I am okay with having to fight for it against them. And I've found success, especially in post-board games. And I think if you think about the matchup carefully there, you can you can get there. It, it, you're not a favorite, but I think you are approaching a fine matchup in post-board games. That's been my experience. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that there are more steps that I could take to get it like closer to even or maybe even become a slight favorite. So uh, this is this is not the final form, almost certainly. Sure. Yeah, and we'll dabble a little bit in that when we get to talking about the sideboard. I guess we've covered the majority of odd stuff here, but do you want to say anything about the core? And the core I would define as Priest of Forgotten Gods, Mayhem Devil, Cauldron Familiar, Witches of, and Claim the Firstborn. All of those are four ofs. And you have an article coming out on Star City. It, it'll be up by the time this podcast comes out. Right. We're, we're recording this at 1.30 in the morning Pacific time on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve. No, it's it's Black Friday now. It's not Thanksgiving anymore. Oh, thank you. Yeah. As, as you know, I don't track days anymore. So uh, good for you for keeping me on track. Time is weird, but there will be an article up shortly. And you made a really good point about Claim the Firstborn, where if that card is dead, it's time to put this deck away. Like this deck needs to be able to leverage that card to be successful in the metagame. And the card is great right now. And if it wasn't, I, I don't think you could play Rakdos Sacrifice as an archetype. Yeah, I think the the sacrifice stuff is cool, right? Like Cauldron Familiar, Witches Oven, Mayhem Devil, Priest. But if Claim is bad, that package starts to look much worse. And then it's just like, well, is all of that stuff better than playing like Knight of the Ebon Legion and Heart of Kirin or whatever? And I think the answer is no. So you really need all of those cards to actually be relevant. And I think, you know, with Mono Red, Gruul, Auras, those sort of things like littering the format, taking up a, a decent chunk of the metagame, really, that the package is worth playing. And also, all those cards are really good in the mirror match. So we're, we're still in a spot where all of those cards are good, even if there are some matchups, even big ones like Saltai, where you know, Claim is just not very good. 
Yeah, and you fix that in post-board games and you live with it. But I, I think you're spot on. Make a metagame read. If there's a reason to play this deck, it's because you can succeed with claim. Yeah. The mana base is kind of cool. There's 24 lands, which might seem pretty high for a deck with a relatively low curve. But like we keep saying, we have a lot of ways to use our mana. And the mana base even contributes to that with Castle Lockvoin, which is awesome in this deck. So I, I want to play a land every turn, especially with Bomac Courier. Like, you know, like 18 to 22 land mono red decks with Bomac Courier, I'm not super interested in because there are just times where you're like stuck on two, Bomat up four cards and you like can't really do anything. I would much rather like, you know, Bomat and then just be able to untap and like play all my cards again, right? Like that's what makes the card good. And then obviously you want a bunch of lands for Castle Lockthwain. Like you basically want to get Hellbent a lot of the time so that you can take advantage of all these different card advantage engines. And you do that by being able to play out your lands. Do you look at Castle Lockthwain as competing for the same spaces as the DFCs? Things like Academe's Awakening or Shatter Skull Summoning. I think Academe's Awakening would be the clear winner here if you were to play one of those two cards. But is it... Lockdwayne or those, or do you just see them as different purposes? Uh, to some degree. So like the deck has three Dragon Skull Summits, which is kind of consensus at this point, And I agree with that. And a, a lot of it is because, you know, you're, you're base black, right? So if you lead on Swamp versus turn one Dragon Skull Summit, you're still going to be like pretty well off in a lot of games, even if you don't have red mana right away. So I think that in order to minimize the impact of things like Dragon Skull Summit and Lockwain ET being tapped, uh, you just kind of like move away from those total. And obviously Agadim's Awakening can make it so those cards are pretty awkward too. But I like I, I looked at all these lists and I was like, what? No Agadim's Awakening? Like, you got to be kidding me, right? And I was, I was like furious. And then I played with it and I was like, oh, this is like just not even that good because it's only useful in certain spots. And that's like game one when they don't have graveyard hate. And it has to be a matchup where they're killing all your stuff and you have to draw it at the right time and blah, blah, blah. So shortly I was just like, yeah, I guess like basic swamp is probably better. I mean, it for decks in standard that are lower power level, they can usually use a reload because you don't have a ton of them. And this deck just has a ton of them. I think that's a fair point. And I I had similar experiences where I expected the card because I think early list I was playing did have copies of Agadim's Awakening and I kept expecting it to be like, sweet, free roll, three creatures in play. It just doesn't work that way. Like you, you use your creatures as fodder for other stuff, especially once you get away from Stitcher's Supplier. It's really hard to play Agadim's Awakening here and actually benefit from it and not just hit yourself for three on crucial turns over and over. So I agree with the decision. As high as I am on that card, it, it just doesn't quite fit here. Yeah, and I mean, to answer your original question, I guess, like, yeah, there is some consideration to like Castle and Summit and things like that. You can't go overboard. But I do think that if you wanted to play like a copy, you could add one as a 25th land and I'd be more than fine with that. And then, you know, you still have the same amount of things to make your lands ETB untapped, which would be fine. I just, you know, played with it as that slot and it's like, well, I'm, I'm really not using this for, for anything. And it's just like killing me as a land and I have yep. better things to spend my life on with like Midnight Reaper, Thoughtseize, etc. So... 
I was just like, yeah, I'll just I'll cut this thing and like, you know, maybe get an extra thoughtsies in here or something like something that actually does something. And there were a few lists I saw that had like Call of the Death Dweller too. And I, I had a lot of similar issues with that card where it's just like basically against everyone, you have to sideboard it out, you know? Yeah. I'll also say this, and you know, I'm an Agadim's Awakening fan. If I got to the place where I wanted a 25th land in this deck, I would almost certainly play third Castle Lockdwain before I would <laughs> yeah. think about Agadim's. Like Castle Lockdwain is just so important to your game plan and how the games play out. It's relative impact on the game state is likely to be much greater than just finding the random one Agadim's Awakening. So weird for me to be bashing that card, but Lockdwain is the truth in this deck. Yeah, I, I don't want to bash the card because I think the card in a vacuum is is quite good, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just like the, the way this deck plays out, everything else that's going on, you know, context matters, right? And of course, for as big of fans as we are of Agadim's Awakening, I think we're equal or greater fans of Castle Lockthwain and everything that makes that card good is still true here, so... My number one cards in Throne of Eldraine, which has proven to be absolutely 100% correct as time has gone on. <laughs> well, after nothing, everything got banned, wrong. yeah. Yeah, now that everything's banned, it, it looks brilliant. I mean, like, there's there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's like, if, if there's a black deck, Castle Lockthwain is at least in consideration for it being in there, right? So, like, the castles are definitely widely played, especially Castle Vantress for some ungodly reason. Cherry's favorite castle. yeah. My least best card in Eldraine, Castle Vantress. <laughs> wow. What a knock. What, is, is it like there's some much worse card in Eldraine? Yes, I feel like there's definitely worse cards in Eldraine. Nah. Uh, sideboard talk. I have some Shatters. Shatters are pretty good. We just got Kaladesh. Uh, there's Witch's Oven in the Mirror Match. There's... People who are going to try and graft diggers cage you, uh, occasional heart adherence, torrential gear hulks. There's a Karn colorless ramp deck that tries to copy a bunch of power stone shards. Like having some amount of shatters is good. I mixed it up with two abrade and one bedevil basically because bedevil is a thing that you can like bring in against blue white. It kills cage, but isn't dead if they don't have cage because you can go after Teferi or shark typhoon or whatever. And then you also get another terror kind of thing that you can bring in against Yasharn. So it's it's a little clunky, but I mean, you and I have been doing this for a while where, you know, you don't necessarily just max on a braids. Yeah, I actually would go further than than you did with your deck. I would go two Bedevil, one a braid. I had a bunch of situations where I feel very comfortable bringing in Bedevil in the dark. I will find something to do with it. I'm, I'm not going to get stuck. I, I did get stuck with some braids. And for me... This would change depending on whether I was playing a tournament with open deck lists or whether I was just on ladder. On ladder, I'm more comfortable having two Bedevil, one a Braid, because I, ju- I just don't want to get stuck with a dead card. We talked about how important it is to be able to move forward with your game plan and not be reacting to your opponents and sitting there with cards in hand. And especially with Bowmat Courier, where you're just like really incentivized to use things as you find them. I'm a little well, bit higher on Bedevil, but I understand mana efficiency matters in this deck too. So Yeah, I was going to say the Bowman thing cuts both ways, right? Where if you're, if you're stuck with a bunch of three mana cards in hand, then the Bowman's not necessarily going to do anything either. And then there's the consideration of, well, this is the spot removal that I bring in against Mono Red, for example, and you can't have it all just be murders, right? Yeah, then you get absolutely smushed for sure. Uh, so, I, have, I haven't been playing against a bunch of Mono Red, so maybe that's 
coloring my approach to the format right now is I just haven't felt really aggressive stings. And when I, when I am playing against aggressive decks, it tends to be gruel right now where I'm a little bit more comfortable with something like bedevil. Cause you're, you generally find spots where you can still trade up on mana if you're bedeviling. Yeah, that's fair. All, all of this stuff should be in flux, right? Like if mm-hmm. you are expecting a different metagame than us, or you're having like different problems than us, like by all means change things. Uh, this is very much still, a work in progress like any deck list should be. So, Right. I've never finished a deck list. You know, I've been playing the game for 24 years now, and I still haven't gotten to the end of any deck list ever. You know, I've built a lot of decks for, you know, especially during preview season, right, where uh, a set is, like, mostly previewed. And I start building out, like, all these ideas, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to do, like, the Yo-Man thing, right, where he's actually doing, like, the 50 decks, but I just never finish them. It's like, mm. all right, I, I have these, these cards, these ideas, and I kind of know what I want my game plan to be, and now it's time to, like, get it down to 60 or, in you know, 80 in some cases. Uh, and I'm just like, nah, I'm just not going to do that. Like, because, <laughs> like, even if putting it out, I just feel bad, right, because it's, like, not... It's, it's, it's not, not going to be correct, right? It's not even yeah. close to finish. Right. So I want to come up with a way where I'm like, here is an idea that I have and y'all can build from that. And I would very much enjoy doing that. I would post like way more decks that way. That's that's where I'm at now. And I understand that occasionally, if you don't understand, that's the way I approach deck building. You could get burned by it. I try and be very clear about it. But if you just get a deck list, no context, because someone else retweeted it, it can be kind of a painful experience where you're just like, well, this is garbage why am i playing this yeah um, brian i went one in six with your deck on ladder it was unplayable right it, it <laughs> certainly can happen i understand but i try and assume my audience is of the more informed group and they almost always are i think people appreciate the sketch work and you should share more of your stuff in early stages yeah it's it's probably the folks that catch it on the retweet right yeah, they Where get it the worst. Like, they, they copy it exactly, and they're just like, well, someone wouldn't tweet this unless they thought it was busted, right? Surprise, I'll tweet anything. Yep. Uh, after some Shatters, we have some Noxious Grasps. Not a huge fan of this card, but it is a card that you can bring in against Saltai, kills Nissa Uru, Yasharn, is fine against some of the aggro decks, like Gruul. You can bring it in as a one-of against Blue-White Control, which I think is also fine. But if there was a better card for this slot, I would be all about it. Yeah, it it does what you need it to do. There's definitely some problems that you need this card to answer that your deck will routinely face. So I, I like the inclusion of it. I think it's not a card I've seen a lot of in the historic format, but you found a good home for it here. You definitely wish you could do something more, though, with the slot and something a little cleaner. It's it's not Ether Gust, where it just does everything you want it to do. It has yeah. some pretty big holes. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe if I cut one for like a Heartless Act, but then that means that you can't kill Nissa with it. But that would allow you to bring it in against uh, Acrodex and Mono Red, which might make me feel a little bit better. But I don't know, man. Uh, you need a lot of ways to kill Yasharn. And this is one of the ways that I'm trying to do it. And then like mixing up the Abrade Bedevils, that's another one. Yeah, Sean, Jerry, Chandra. I think if you're going to make that change, specifically like Noxious Grass to Heartless Act, I, I might just do Blood Juice Thirst instead, where you have now the cheapest possible removal spell and still outs to things like Nissa and Yasharn. Oh, it's so bad. 
bad against Sultai though. For four it is, mana. but it's bad in the same way that like Bedevil is bad. It just it catches everything, and that's that's the situation you find yourself in. And if you need to hedge against both really fast aggressive decks and still have more outs to your Sharn because you've given up some of your noxious grasp slots, I don't know. I, I would rather just cover all my bases. Uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, anyway, Chandra. Torch of Defiance. This is why I have four mountains in my main deck. And it's basically just to cast this card. And I think I will go up to a third copy of this before I go down to like one or zero. Um, because this is a card that fights Yisharn and is actually reasonable. The problem is, is that uh, some Sultai lists will actually like come out swinging. They'll have like Shark Typhoons and will play pretty aggressively with their Nissas and stuff like that. And it's not like against Azorius or whatever, where you just get infinite time to sit behind a Planeswalker. Yeah. Again, another jack of all trades, but against Azorius, this is a slam dunk. And I mean, that is a significant portion of the metagame. It's nice to have a really strong option there. Uh, I even had a turn three Chandra off my Phyrexian Tower one game. Hell yeah. That was uh, an easy game. I I ultimated Chandra, won very easily. But the card covers all your bases. Again, more Yasharn protection, like you mentioned. I, I've been super impressed with it. It's been my favorite sideboard card. I'm bringing it in a lot. I've even discussed Copy's main deck. And it's weird. Like It's certainly far more val- vulnerable in game ones than it is in games two and three when you can specifically tailor your strategy for it. And also, you're, like, you're making a metagame call when you choose to play this deck, as we discussed. So if you're a claim the firstborn deck, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, I'm a four claim the firstborn deck, but I also main deck Chandra because I anticipate playing these matchups a bunch. Right. It's like, well, wh- why are you here then? So yeah. it's a question you have to answer. Uh, I-, I do think that Chandra is diverse enough that you can get away with that to a small extent. Like one copy main makes some degree of sense to me because it is reach and you can use it in that fashion. And it's it's not the most efficient piece of reach, but it will occasionally do the job for you. So been impressed with this card 100%. Three in the sideboard makes sense. Two in the sideboard, one in the main deck is something I do want to try. Yeah, I'd be fine with that too. I think, like you said, one copy doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but it's like, you know, compare Chandra to Midnight Reaper. Like they're they're kind of accomplishing similar things. And you know, I, I would prefer to have like the cheaper card in a lot of instances, but right now the main deck can't kill a resolved Yasharn, which is obviously a huge problem, uh, especially like the more copies that people put in their main decks. And yep. that is that is probably going to be a, a thing that we need to solve sooner rather than later. I think so. I, if you looked at the results from this past weekend, it seemed like Sultai was played at a much larger clip than the four color list. Now, part of that could just be like, mislabeling of decks, which I, I don't think the metagame percentages get curated any more than what you label your deck as. So if someone included Yasharn and called the deck Sultai, I think it would just be lumped under Sultai. Yeah. I might I great. might be wrong about that. I'm not 100%. But if that is the case, then it's not a clear reflection. But regardless of what happened last week, I think going forward, I would expect to see more four-color, less Sultai. Yeah, I would too. I'm scared of Yasharn. I, I think that Sultai without splashing is a good deck, but I think that they pick up a ton of percentage points in any given tournament just by, you know, adding the pig to your deck for very little cost. Yeah. And the win rates uh, reflected that again, assuming they are accurate, then they reflected that, but the Sultai decks, pretty mediocre performance, if I recall correctly, like somewhere 45, 46%, but the five color control, or excuse me, the four color control decks closer to 60%. So, yep. Two Thoughtsies in the sideboard. I think that that makes 
a decent amount of sense. Like I have, I have two main deck. There are a lot of decks where I would want to go up to four copies. They don't necessarily need to be all thought seizes. Like, you know, I, I think if you were concerned about control decks, you could make the case for like a duress and three thought seizes or something. But Yasharn is such a big issue that I'm just maxing on this card because it handles all the problems. Yeah, I don't have a long list of decks that are, I feel like I would benefit all that much from having duress as opposed to thoughtsies. So I, I just like four thoughtsies. Seems like the safe play now. Well, duress is like a card that you could have against something like mono red. And sure. Just but like, with, but do, do you need to? Meh, no, probably not. Yeah, I, I don't know that you benefit all that much, especially the way like mono red is presently built. It It doesn't seem like that big of a get to have access to duress. I will say that right now, me overcompensating for a few things leads to having some weaker sideboard plans against mono red type of stuff. But I also don't think that I need to change anything. Yeah, in, they need to regard, show me something you know? first before I'm right. accounting for mono red because they just have a nightmare of a time with the Uro decks right now. And I think Uro is doing an effective job squeezing mono red out of the format to some extent. The win rates were horrible for mono red, if I recall correctly. Yeah, when Kaladesh came out, a lot of my lists, or a lot of my sideboards, rather, started with Chandra's defeat because I assumed that Mono Red, especially with Chandra, would be a thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, I just haven't played against anyone who's who's doing that or haven't seen that deck win at all. So, yep. And the rest of my sideboard is uh, Soul Guide Lantern and Witch's Vengeance, which could literally be anything. I think that. Goblins ticking back up a little bit means that Witch's Vengeance should be in the sideboard, but also I I haven't really needed it against them. So it, it makes it so you can almost certainly just hammer them, which is good, but you might not need to. Yeah, make a read depending on the metagame percentages. For a period last week, it looked like Goblins was headed towards a huge, huge breakout. It had one day in like the SCG prelims where it had an absurd win rate, like 80% or something completely unprecedented. And then as the field, you know, went through the cycles and accounted for the deck, it fell back to earth, which I think will mostly be the case with goblins. Like how accounted for it is, is going to always determine its win percentages. And I think by the time the finals came, people were appropriately prepared. I would still lean towards preparing for the deck for the time being. And I, I would keep the three, which is vengeance for now. Yeah, I, I really do look forward to the point where I can cut them, though, because yep. then it's like oh, I have a, a better plan against Gruul or like maybe another card for Sultai or something. And I feel like a lot of my cyborg plans will just be like solidified at that point. I'll be very happy with them. Yeah. Have you found any other matchups where you've brought in a Witch's Vengeance? I mean, I see people like bring them in against like the wizards mono red or whatever. And they always just look bad. So yeah. I don't know. I think I would just save them for elves and goblins and that's it. Okay. Uh, and the soul guide lantern I have is kind of like a nod to the mirror, even though it's like not great, especially against this version of the mirror. Like if you can somehow snipe a cauldron familiar, or like maybe a scrap heap scrounger or something, you might feel pretty good. And then if they're doing Stitcher Supplier stuff, yeah, maybe you get to exile 10 cards and take away all their escape stuff or whatever, but it's not ideal. It's It was mainly just a card that I wanted as kind of a free answer to Uro against Sultai, mm-hmm. just not get pressured by that thing. Uh, why Soul Guide Lantern over, say, Cling to Dust? Because if you Cling an Uro, it, it just sucks. Okay, fair enough. 
Like you, you just gain three life and then the card sits there, right? Whereas this, you get to eat it and then either eat another one or cycle it, which is much better than having to pay for mana to cycle it. Uh, my sh- my shortcut has always been like Soul Guide Lantern if I'm a Luris deck, Cling everywhere else. But I, I see your point when it comes to Cling and also like getting away from Stitcher Supplier and stuff and already competing for some of that escape real estate with Woe Strider. I, I don't know that you'll be able to really fuel Cling effectively in this deck. I think it kind of fights against you. So I'm, yeah. I'm cool with Soul Guide Lantern here. Uh, maybe is like Scrabbling Claws is legal? I, f- I feel like people were talking about that at some point. I guess that I didn't sounds, really look into that. That sounds correct to me. Is Scrabbling Claws, what's the text on that? Is that just better than Soul Guide Lantern? I mean, it's not It's not better. because So like you tap to exile a card, or they, they choose a card and exile it, and then you can pay one, sack it, exile target card, draw a card. So it, it costs two mana to like get the aura up front, but I guess you can like, you know, go after their graveyard to prevent them yeah, from escaping aura if it's early. Yeah. So... Uh, this, this is the type of thing that is like almost certainly worse against like stocked graveyards, but it's good against lighter graveyards. So. Yeah. Eh, I, I, for what for what I'm trying to accomplish with this slot, I've been pleased with Soul Guide Lantern, but it's also more of like a luxury thing. Uh, there's also things like God Pharaoh's Gift where it's like, yeah, maybe I just want to go after their entire graveyard versus doing like the Scrabbling Claws thing. So I sure. still think this is better. Okay. But yeah, another card where it's like maybe there's something that's a little bit better in slot. And if I just have like a bunch of spot removal type of things, then maybe I don't need to like graveyard hate their Uro or whatever. And it's kind of similar in the mirror match too, honestly. As long as you kill Mayhem Devil and Priest, you're usually like pretty well off. So yeah. that might be fine. I don't know. I feel like I did a lot of decent work on the sideboard and I solved a lot of problems, but they're in like kind of ham fisted ways. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get that impression playing with the deck or even looking at the deck. I, I, I think that you've found solid plans and why do you define them as ham fisted? I'll, I'll put you on the spot. Like, what do you, is it just too on the nose? Like, here's my creature hate card. Here's my graveyard hate card and a little bit less yeah, it's like, uh, well, holistic it, planning. Yeah. It's like, here's my goblins card. Here's my, yeah. my God Pharaoh's gift card. Here's my salt eye stuff. Here's my stuff for heart of Kieran. And then you look at the cyber plants and like, there, there are things like thoughtsies, right? Where it's like, it goes in in a bunch of different spots and like, that feels nice. Uh, and then there are things like Mono Red where I'm just like, I guess I bring in Chandra because my main deck cards are worse or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's why it feels bad to me. I think that that might be more about Historic than anything you've done here because Historic has some very powerful outliers that sh- they really, really require you to warp your deck. And it's, it's almost like old Dredgeless where it's like, okay, yeah. You get a portion of my sideboard, and if I don't, I'm just scooping to you. So take it, enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of how I feel too. Uh, like I, I don't necessarily begrudge myself, you know. Like I'm I'm putting this out there, right? I'm doing an article and a podcast about this because I believe in it, and I I just look at this and I'm like, history has taught me that whenever I have a sideboard that looks like this, I can do better, and historically i have been able to do better now Mm -hmm. this might be a format where maybe that's just not possible you know and it it would be a first but like magic is full of firsts so i i wouldn't be completely surprised like i i did 
did my due diligence. I did the best I could. This is what I came up with. Like you said, you know, the, the, the plans work or whatever. Uh, it just doesn't feel like this is the, the final form, the optimal form. Well, I mean, part of this process is turning it over to the hive mind, right? And yeah. sharing it with everyone and seeing what they come back with. So I, I am interested to see how that, if people take your word, which they should, I also believe in this deck and, you know, you and I, we like a lot of decks, but it's rare that we both are saying, yes, this is the deck we endorse. This is the deck we would play. But if I had a historic tournament this weekend, something very close to the 75 cards would be what I was playing. Yeah, I would almost certainly register like 70 of these cards, you know, if not, if not the entire 75. So uh, I am, I'm very confident in this. I mean, normally with standard, like, uh, especially the standard format post bands, it's like you can make a case on any given week for like Demir or Urian or Gruul or whatever. And this, I'm just like, and eh, it's, it's pretty cut and dry to me, honestly. I agree with you. Playing like a lot of the best cards, have a low mana curve, uh, a lot of good interaction, a lot of ways to draw cards. You use your mana every turn. Like what What more do you want from a deck, you know? A tiny bones. Oh, get out of here. That's it. If, if I had a tiny bones, then I would be, I would finally be happy if I just had one tiny bones. I mean, there's, there's the running joke, right? It's just like ban everything until tiny bones until is good. Until tiny bones is good. Yeah. I like that approach to the format. And I don't know. I mean, we, we might get to that point. Who knows? Your day is coming, Tiny Bones. Uh, I guess one thing that maybe we should have talked about earlier is like collected company in this deck because that was a thing that people were doing, right? And mm-hmm. I just mostly ignored it. And I didn't know how you felt about that. I mean, I know how you feel about collected company, period. But I, I can't put collected company in this deck. There's no way. There's not enough creatures for me. It would not work. I certainly played those Jun lists with Collected Company. They didn't. They never felt good to me. They didn't really feel all that close to me. More traditional builds of like Racto Sacrifice have always had my favor over things like the Collected Company Jun lists. So I, I don't really have a lot of good things to say about them. Well, it's it's funny, right? Like Collected Company looks so splashy. It's like, oh, you hit two Mayhem Devils and killed your opponent or whatever. And then there are obviously other times that you miss, but realistically just having castle and bowmat and midnight reaper you have these smaller ball ways of gaining card advantage and that means that like your man is good and you don't have these clunky four drops and it just ends up being better across the board yeah so there's like some versions that were trying to be more combo-ish that i bought into the idea of being a collected company deck with um things that were more focused around bolus's citadel Maybe there's a place for that. But in terms of just like playing fair, I, I don't get it. Like this deck just does everything at a cheaper mana cost. And that is the appeal of this deck to me. And having this four mana card, which a lot of the versions that did play Collecting Company were not 24 land decks like yours is. They were 22 land decks. Yeah, and you, you had to be because you had to play Oven and Company and Claim. Yep. And you, and then, you end up with like 26 hits or whatever. Yeah, it, I, I just don't buy it. I think this is a way better deck, way more consistent. And the power boost from Collected Company just isn't there. It's it's not that swinging of a card in this deck. You know, Collected Company has always felt best to me when it is putting almost combo pieces onto the battlefield and like lords that scale across multiple things. So in Spirits, that those were some of the best Collected Companies I ever cast where I got two lords into play and they're 
Their effect expands beyond their self-contained bodies. And I don't think Recto Sacrifice does that with the exception of Mayhem Devil, really. Because like Priest of Forgotten Gods needs to stick around for a turn. And the rest of the stuff here is just mostly bodies. And even Mayhem Devil, like if I'm blank and I cast Collected Company, I hit two, three drops. Midnight Reaper, Mayhem Devil. Wait, I didn't actually do anything. Like that should be my slam dunk. I hit the two best cards in my deck. And you don't actually accomplish anything. Whereas if I hit, you know, Spirit Lord, Spirit Lord, I have um, an immediate flying clock. So I don't know. Something about the card does not track in this archetype to me. I've never wanted this to be a collected company deck, so I don't fault you at all for excluding it here. One of the things I talk about in my article is that there are some sacrifice decks that I th- I think are more in line with how people view the sacrifice decks, where it's like. They go super wide and then, you know, they sacrifice their entire board to Woestrider and the opponent and or dies in like some flashy fashion or whatever, right? And this is not that deck. Like right. you you play out a few things and then you sack them for value and then you play out more things and you just keep doing that until your opponent dies, right? And I think collected company in like the rally decks where you're like, I need this huge mass of things. Like that makes more sense to me, but in in this sort of deck, I would much rather cast you know like three drop into three drop or three drop into two two drops or something, and not rely on collected company trying to hit. And also, you know, the spells are good, and you need the spells to interact, right? And uh, collected company just does like more of the same and makes it so you can't play those spells. The more you approach this deck as trying to instill upon your opponent death by a thousand cuts, I think the better off you will be. The more you're just trying to maximize every little chip shot and every little advantage and know you're going to have to work for your wins, but there's almost always a path to get there. You'll play games better and better and you'll you'll understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, I honestly, I think that this, this understanding came from Emma basically, at least like on, on my side of things. And I know that, you know, we shout out Emma a lot, but you know, she, she crushes it. So she's, she's good at what she does. Yeah. So uh, she, she was the first one who was like, this is like a beatdown deck first. Right. And then you have kind of like this combo we finish. So she's, she's trying to aggro people first and then do the sacrifice stuff later. And especially with scrap, even Bowman, I really tried to lean into that with this version. Yep. Yeah, and it feels that way too. Yeah. And then the company ones are like, I'm never going to attack you. And then I'm just going to deal you 20 damage. And it's like, that doesn't work. It doesn't really work. Yeah. It was more plausible at other points in the format, but that's, it's not what I want to do now. Yeah. Uh, what about Bolas of Citadel? Cause that was a card that showed up in some of the sideboards too. And I think it's, it's mostly nonsense, at least in this version. I think you have to build towards it very specifically. I am interested in the idea of like, some more Phyrexian Towers and maybe some more Chandras as a way to get there a little bit more quickly. Dude, you're just, you're just chasing the high of that turn three Chandra, aren't you? I really am. Uh, <laughs> it was quite the experience. But no, I mean, th- there's something to be said about a deck which accelerates to that point. I just think it's a completely different deck. It, it's not doing any of the same things. It's not Scrap Heap Scrounger beat down. It's like Llanowar Visionary stuff. And it it really doesn't belong in this conversation. I'm not saying it's impossible or it's not good. It's it's just different. It's it's not trying to do the same things. 
Uh, I could see a version that is maybe more Stitcher Supplier, less Bowmat, and like, yeah, maybe you just like Max on Chandra, and like that is your uh, kind of like engine and partly removal card and stuff like that. I don't know. That's that's interesting. What's it going to do better than this version is the question we have to ask. And what it's not going to do better, I can—I mean, I can just tell you, is play against Graftigger's Cage. And I think that's a huge portion of the appeal of what you've done here is that you found well, really good strategies against Graftigger's Cage. If, if you're doing like tower into Chandra and that's a, a big part of your plan, then I think that's pretty good against Cage, you know? I was, but I was what, just, what's the surrounding part though? Like if your deck is built to get to Bolas's Citadel, then oh, I, I, was, I assume. No, I was not going to do Citadel. I was just going to get Chandra. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're kind of mushing ideas together here, but yeah, that's yeah. a good illustration of how many different things there are to do with this kind of shell. You can go in a lot of different paths. Hmm. Yeah, I think I th- it's weird. I think Chandra would solve some problems and also like cause a lot of problems too. But I can tell what's happening is that we're again getting to that part in the show where we want to go build some decks. Yeah, which seems to happen every single week. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't know. I, f- I feel like we we covered a lot of stuff. I think so, and I I, I hope we have sold people on this deck, and I, I hope people are able to accomplish some goals. I don't know if there's any actual real big historic tournament this weekend, but maybe you're trying to get your ladder position shored up as we get to the end of the season. And maybe this is the deck to do it for you. Oh, the, the PT is coming up too. PT soon. Yeah. I, although they have to, do they have to submit soon? I saw Cedric saying he's decided on his deck, but that doesn't actually mean submission is any time soon. He's just made up his mind. He's, he sent me, uh, I'm definitely going to play, deck and text like every day this week. So oh, okay, good. With, with a different deck. So sounds good. I'm sure that with the time that he composed the tweet, he thought that he had solidified his deck choice and nothing could change that opinion. Yeah. So this is the point in our show where we usually head over to our discord and get some questions from our patrons over there. I did things a little bit differently this week though as i mentioned it is thanksgiving here in the states today and i was in a a thankful mood i always like to dip into our discord and just occasionally say thank you to everyone there for supporting us and helping us do what we do here on the podcast and i also asked them this week if they would do the same and tell me something they were thankful for and i'm just going to grab a couple here there's a lot of really really nice sentiments if you're in our discord I advise you to go take a peek. Just add a little positivity to your life. I know we all need that right now. First one comes from Thiz Vandermeer. Thiz says, I'm thankful for my three cats keeping me sane while working from home for months on end. Jerry, do you relate to that? Yes and no. I am definitely thankful for my cats, but I wouldn't say they keep me sane. Right. There's definitely they seem, moments. They seem to drive you insane sometimes. Yeah, there are, there are moments where they instill sanity. Uh, which sure I'm thankful for, but I, it's very rare that I'm able to sleep for more than four hours at a time. So Mm. speaking of people who don't get to sleep for more than four hours at a time, we have a message from Juha Hakala who says, I'm thankful that I've been able to work remotely the whole COVID time and see my baby girl growing. So that's awesome way to find the bright spot in what has been a very, very tough situation. A lot of people 
saying they're thankful for the community we put together. That's certainly not why I wanted to get what they were thankful for, but I just wanted to say, I appreciate that. And I'm happy that you guys have found a home and you all have a place to talk about magic and uh, grow as players. Cause we see that happen on a week to week basis for sure. Uh, best, best possible happy accident from doing this podcast. Not close. Yes. Right there with you. Here's a really nice one from David Davila says, I'm thankful for my daughter. She has a rare health condition that really scared us this year. We were told by doctors she was going to pass away in front of us, but miraculously she did not. She's doing well today and she celebrated her first Thanksgiving at home. That is awesome, David. And I'm so, so happy for you. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, And let's go with one final message from our friends over in the Discord. This one comes from Kira Randall. Says, I'm thankful for animal companions right there with you. A lot of animal love being shared on Thanksgiving. My dog ate so much food today. Kai was just having (laughs) an absolute feast. He finished a quiche and mashed potatoes. And what else did he eat? I mean, he kind of gets the shaft because we're vegetarians, right? And I bet a lot of other dogs are having turkey. We do go out of our way to get him meat for sure. But today we did not have any meat in the house. So I, I hope he still appreciated everything we prepared for him. Uh, it sounds like it. I don't know if he's like, you know, getting through the quiche, getting through the mashed potatoes. And he's just like, where is the meat at the end of this? I don't, he likes he likes vegetables. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not saying that. Like, I, I am a little skeptical. Obviously, I, I care a lot about animals and protecting animals and trying to reduce our impact as humans on animals. But like, I, I also think... I can't make that decision for my animal. Like I'm, I'm not going to make my dog be a vegetarian. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't think they generally have the awareness to be able to make those types of calls. So I am very, very cognizant of making sure he still gets to appreciate meat from time to time. But he also just like, if I hand him some broccoli, he's pretty happy about it. Like he's, he's willing to eat that. So. Oh, for a while I was uh, just making these like Amy's, broccoli cheddar bake things Mm -hmm. and uh one of my cats ren for whatever reason like he's he's very food motivated right you know like basically all all cats are but like he he would just like get in my face and like stare at me and i was like okay (laughs) fine dude fine dude you want some broccoli here have some broccoli and he was like this is so good and i'm just like what like i expected you to be like this is trash and then just walk away you know so for a while, I would have one of those, like, you know, every other night when I wanted a snack or something, he would just be right there. He was just like broccoli cat. The things that Kai loves and hates are so strange. And he he's very food motivated now. He wasn't, though, most of his life. Only now that he's gotten old and fat like his owners has he decided <laughs> that he wants to partake in more foods. And But still, even, even with that, like – he just arbitrarily chooses things he loves and things he hates. And you can never know until you just hand him the food and see what his reaction is going to be. Dude, the thing that weirds me out is for as much as biology impacts these animals, right? It's like, oh, there's there's a noise. Like, I better go hide, right? It's like they're just so focused on, like, protecting themselves, right? And then I'll drop, like... Uh, a thing of cheese from a tombstone and then they they all just immediately go for it and try and shove it down their mouths and it's like you're so focused on protecting yourself but you'll just eat anything it could be poison what are you doing right no concept of poison whatsoever just willing to put all food in the mouth and, and i mean it extends to like gross things outside and 
uh, I don't know. It, obviously, that's where <laughs> humans and animals have a little bit of difference built into them, where they are mostly willing to eat anything. Yeah, and and that that just blows my mind. It's like where where's your sense of self preservation now, huh? I I guess like. It's it's probably mathematically based in that your odds of survival are better if you just are willing to eat everything than if you're picky about what is safe to eat. Probably. Or, I mean, I could see where it's like, well, in, in the cheese example or broccoli or whatever, it's like it doesn't smell like death to them. And maybe there are certain things that they know not to eat based on smell or whatever. I don't know. Again, Kai is like usually pretty discerning about what he's going to eat but he got into this thing this year where he was like licking slugs all the time i'm like what are you, what are you doing why are you doing he wasn't even eating them he just like go up to the slugs and lick them and i'm dogs are weird well i i guess you know be thankful that you're not surrounded by like poisonous frogs or whatever because that could get him in trouble so i am i am thankful for that i'm thankful he is doing well and is healthy and i am thankful for you and all of our listeners as well. And I, I'm happy to say that today. No, same, same. Yeah, I don't know. Holidays, I'm not a, a big fan of, but I'll, I'll certainly participate. And yeah, I, I'm i definitely very happy with how all of this stuff has turned out. And certainly like my place in the magic community and the trajectory that it's taken me on. And for everyone in the Discord and like, a lot of the nice people that interact with me like on Twitter and at tournaments and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm definitely very happy to be here. You know, there were definitely times in my life where I'm just like, yeah, the, the first thing that comes along that is, you know, somewhat productive or like feels productive or like pays my bills or whatever, like I'm just going to ditch magic for. And that has not happened because I started to appreciate the things that magic had to offer me that were not just like grinding tournaments and, you know, all the stuff that kind of tends to make people miserable, right? So, right. yeah, um, I'm very happy with how things went and the way that I was able to, like, adapt to the situation and certainly the the people I've met and everything. Like, at this point, all of my friends are through magic, and I, I just wouldn't have it any other way. Now that is game. Good luck.